You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. This Monday morning, Sarah and I boarded a plane at the Tri-Cities for an adventure. We, I received a phone call about four weeks ago from our representative with Compassion International. Uh, our church, we, we've partnered with Compassion, and we've had several Compassion Sundays. Many of you have uh, taken on a Compassion child and, and have uh, adopted one of those kids. And, and so uh, we got a call, and, and Scott is his name, and he said, Matt, uh, do with us what you want. The Holy Spirit's just been, been heavy on my heart. We have a trip scheduled, it's pretty soon, it's in four weeks, but it's to Ecuador, and it's a pastor vision trip. And it's a trip for pastors that aren't connected with Compassion yet for them to see uh, the program. But I know four of your kids uh, that you and Sarah support are in Ecuador. And the Spirit just put this on my heart to invite you. And you and Sarah could go. Uh, what do you say? And I was like, yeah, buddy, sign us up, right? And so Monday morning, we headed out from Tri-Cities to Quito, Ecuador. And so we had an amazing trip. And this morning, I want to share with you a little bit about that trip as uh, we begin the introduction of the book of Titus. Titus is uh, our next series. We're going to be in this for a little over a month. And it's a small book in the New Testament, only three chapters, 46 verses, but it's a great book on how to live your faith, how to, what it looks like for us to stand up in our community and our culture and to live this out. If you want, we have those journals uh, at the coffee bar. Um, it's the, the journaling Bibles. And so this is actually First and Second Timothy and Titus, three for one. And so um, we have those at the coffee bar. You can get it, I think, $5 there, $7 on Amazon. If it's, just, if it's something you like to do, just write notes as we dive in. To this book of Titus. This trip to Quito was uh, labeled an adventure vision trip, and we didn't quite know what that was, but we were excited to be on it, and we found out firsthand what it was. We were moving nonstop, going from different village to different village, and, and very quickly we spent the first night in Quito, the capital, and then we headed out to the most remote areas of Ecuador. We got to go visit a lot of different things, and one of the things that we did to get to one tribe uh, in the Amazon rainforest, we drove to the edge of civilization, and there was a tiny, tiny airport, uh, one of the smallest airports I've ever been in, and we got in these little planes, a six-seater plane, and they shoved me in the back, and, and we uh, took off. And there was about 15 or 20 of us on the trip all together, so they had to do, they just had three planes, and so they had to go uh, several times to take us out and we are, so we leave from the edge of a civilization, and from there we flew 30 minutes into the rainforest. We come around a bend, and there's a, a clearing in amongst the trees where they had taken out the trees and the grass that's growing up. They've cut that down with machetes. This is an area where there's no power, there's no gasoline, you're not getting a lawnmower out there, but uh, they would cut the runway with machetes to trim back the grass, and this is where we're going to land. And so the plane comes down, and we're just kind of at a loss. Like, this was already terrifying being in this little plane, let alone we're landing in the middle of the jungle, right? And so we come, and as we get closer, I start seeing these things come out from the edge of the jungle, and we're like, what is this? What's going on? And it's these children. They hear the plane coming, and so they start running. And they're standing on the runway as we land. And they just come around the plane. They know how, what a safe distance. And I just thought of, you know, our culture, and it's like, you can't get past this 
the, the security guard, let alone just walk onto the runway and hang out. And, but we got on, and these kids came, and, and they came to see us. And it was an amazing opportunity to meet the Wanani people. The Wanani people are, if you're familiar with the movie End of the Spear or the story of Jim Elliot, it's the group of people, the, uh, this tribe people that murdered Jim Elliot and four other missionaries 70 years ago. These missionaries came and knew this an unreached people group that were mostly naked and had never seen a white person, never seen an airplane, and, and they tried to build a relationship and landed, and the Wanani people came and murdered them on the beach. What's more impressive, these five wives went back to the Wanani people and said, you killed my husband, but I forgive you. Let me tell you about Jesus' love. When we went, we were in the village where uh, the Wanani people were, and they've since most of them have accepted Jesus. And we went and we saw the grave of Rachel Saint, one of the missionaries' wives, who spent her entire life there and was buried among the people. So the only tombstone they have in the entire village, because she was so honored, because she was willing to give her life for Jesus and for the Wanani people. It was so neat to, to get to do that. We, and the next day we went and to another part of the Amazon rainforest and we saw the Kichawa people. And as we went and to the Kichawa people, we, they had us go sit in the church and then the, the ladies came in and they gave us a presentation and they said, we want to do something to mark you as part of our people. When our villagers go out to war against the other villagers, this isn't just past tense, this is present tense. We will, they go out to war with their spears and their blow darts, and we paint their face, so that way we know who is on our side. And so we paint their face, and so that way in the midst of a battle, when you turn and you accidentally would, and you're about to attack someone, you don't accidentally murder your own Kichawa people. And so they put these marks on our face, and they said, are you okay with that? Are you willing? And, and we naturally said, yeah, sure. Uh, how long will it last? And they said, oh, you can wipe it off tonight. It's okay. We're like, all right. And so it was a special uh, ink that they had made out of the, the flowers there, and they put a stick in the ink, and they began to draw on our face. And so we became part of their people. That night, we went back to the hotel and washed my face, and I look up, and I'm still part of their people. And so we're like, all right, let's try some, some shampoo, and we're still part of their people. And, and try conditioner and lotion, everything that they had in a hotel. They had a little disc uh, of, of some uh, liquid in a, a sponge, and I didn't know what that was. It was all in Spanish, but we said, okay, I'll try that, and I'm rubbing that on my face. None of it worked. Turns out it's not temporary. And so uh, that was Thursday morning when I got this on my face. And it's still here on Sunday. And so uh, we went to the ho next hotel the next night, and I found out that little disc they had it in English was shoe polish. And so <laughs> shoe polish does not take it off either, in case you ever find yourself in the same situation. A little piece of advice for you. But uh, we had our face drawn by Juliana because she wanted us to be part of her people. And I was reminded of this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I thought about the passage where it says that we are marked, as that when we accept Jesus Christ, that we are marked, and our name is put in the, the book of life, that we are marked as our people, that when we are fighting against the spiritual forces, when we're fighting against Satan, it's a beautiful thing that our people have this mark, that we are set aside, and we are set apart, and we will be victorious. 
Jesus has already won and we are on the side of the victorious side. And so whether it's this body here or the body of the Kichawa people that are believers, we are all marked with the blood of Christ. And so it was a beautiful thing as Juliana was drawing this on our face. We got home yesterday after a red eye, and uh, we had went and bought sunglasses for children that we would visit this week at the flea market, and Henry, our eight-year-old, was with us, and he wanted a pair of sunglasses, and we ran out of money, and we said, oh, I'll get it for you next week. I didn't think he'd remember. We, we land, and we're at the airport, he goes, are we going to the flea market? And I said, yeah, yeah, sounds great. So we went to the flea market, forgot about this, and I got several comments and strange looks throughout the day, um, but it was worth it to be marked with the Quechua people, that when they would go to war, they knew he, are, he is one of us. Same is true as we go to war against the spiritual battle. Together, we know we are victorious. So we dive into the book of Titus. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it. Maybe you already purchased one of those books at the coffee bar. Go ahead and open it. We're just touching on the beginning. This is an introduction to Titus. But this morning, we, I want to look at this. This was a letter to Titus from Paul. This week, I saw firsthand the importance of a letter. We went and saw, uh, among the Quechua people, we did a house visit, a home visit. We went and saw Alex. Alex lived in a home made of concrete blocks, and there was hardly any furniture. The couch was a long 12-foot board with two uh, dirty um, gas cans as the base. This was the couch that we could sit on in the living room. I saw, uh, looked into one room, and there was no furniture, but there was a little boy about three or four years old in his underwear sleeping because it was nap time on a concrete floor. In another room, we see the few belongings that they have, one little bed that would house the mother, the grandmother, and the two boys. And so we sit in the living room with Alex and his mom. And Alex is there, and we, we brought food, and we were sitting eating lunch, and then we talked to him about, I said, what's it like to, for your sponsor when you get a letter? And tears began to well up in Alex's eyes. He said, I've been sponsored five years, and this was all spoken through with a translator, but he said, the translator turned to me and said, he's been sponsored for five years, and he's never got a letter. And I said, is that common? And they said, about half our kids don't ever get letters. And it just kind of shocked me, because we always write a letter, and I thought everyone did, but I said, well, can you tell a difference between the kids that don't and the kids that do? And he said, there's a huge difference. He said, the people like Alex are disappointed and Alex is there with tears welling up in his eyes, and, and, and he shared that Alex sees the other kids get a letter, and he says, does my sponsor not love me? Am I not as important? And he said that we tell them, no, no, your sponsor loves you. That's why you get to go to school because of your sponsor. You get to eat food. You're in the, the church program. We, you get a birthday gift and a Christmas gift because of your sponsor. They do love you, and sending that money is important. But so is sending a letter. I was at another house on a different visit, and they had one piece of furniture. It was an old beat-up dresser. And they had one piece of furniture, and that held all their belongings. The kitchen stuff was on top. Their clothing was in the drawers. But there was one drawer on top. And they pulled out this drawer, and it was a stack of letters from their sponsor. The most important spot in the house is where they kept the letters from their sponsor in America. The importance of a letter. 
the importance of a relationship. I saw it firsthand with Alex. Alex and his mom are there. The importance of a letter is why Paul wrote Titus in the first place. Much of the New Testament is called the epistles. It's these letters that Paul has written to various churches to, to encourage them and to correct them, to guide them in the right path, to, to just continue this relationship with the people. And there's also letters to people. First and Second Timothy is a letter that Paul has written, and so is Titus. And Titus was a protege uh, of of Paul, and Paul is now writing Titus to, to tell him uh, about several things. Paul knows the importance of a letter, and so this letter is to Titus and to the church in Crete. And we'll touch on where Crete is in a minute, but to this whole church. And so when Paul sends this letter, it gives support behind Titus. Titus is a young, a young minister of this area, but Paul, everybody knows Paul. Paul has, played, has set so many churches into motion. Paul is this great example of the Christian faith. Paul is a, a weathered old man. And so when Paul writes and he says, I support Timothy, I care about Timothy, the people can, or about Titus, the people can see, I need to have Titus's back. I need to listen to him. Titus, as, you will, as we will see, also is Paul guiding Titus a little bit on how to lead this church, to point them to godliness, to living goodness to living in a way that is honoring uh, of, of God and honoring of Jesus Christ. The culture of Crete was uh, a unique culture. It's a culture of laziness, a culture of procrastination, a culture of drunkards and, and just low-level people. It was an island nation, and, and they lived like it. Even in, as we get through the book, you will see in Titus 1.12, it talks about that this is a people of, of laziness and drunkenness. And so we, uh, Titus is sent to this island to reach to these people. This church started because it was people that had gone, that were in Jerusalem during Pentecost. They were Jews that were just there to, to worship Yahweh because of the festival. But then Pentecost comes. They hear about Jesus. They, they accept him and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And so now they're filled with the Spirit and they come back and they come back to the island and they start this little church and they tell others about Jesus and they believe in Jesus and accept him as a Savior and the Holy Spirit comes to them. And so now you have this church that has started but they don't really have much doctrine education. They don't know what Jesus said what Jesus did and so you have this church and they have this belief in Jesus but they don't know what to do with it and so it begins to mix with the culture the things of the culture that is there it's a synchronism as we were there in Ecuador they told us this is one of the biggest problems among Christians in Ecuador is a synchronism is they believe in Jesus but they don't have good teaching they don't have good doctrine. And so then they lend to the cultural traditions that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they put the two together to have this half-breed of being a Christian. Happened in Crete. Happened in Ecuador. Honestly, it happens here. We know what the scripture says and, and we want to live that way, but our culture lives a different way. And so often we find ourselves compromising to give in to, to, give in to the, the forces of the political correctness and to, to give in to these ideas instead of standing firm for what the scripture says. And so we kind of mesh these two together and have this lukewarm Christianity like they did in Ecuador, like they did in Crete. And so Titus is going to speak to us on how to live passionately for God, how to live for him, how to live in that way. 
as we get into Titus, I want you to know Titus is a real person. It's so easy to dive into Scripture and kind of gloss over who these people are instead of thinking that they're a living, breathing, real person. When we arrived on Friday, uh, we got back to Quito, and we were going to meet our Compassion children. We had our, our four kids, and then two other pastors on the trip had some kids, and, and so they, they had collected the kids earlier, and, and the kids got to come, and this is the first time many of them had ever even seen a hotel, the first time they'd ever been in a bus, some of them first time they've ever been in any kind of vehicle. And they got a ride in a bus to Quito, and they're at the hotel, and they get there early so the kids can swim. Many of them have never seen a swimming pool before. And the kids had just been swimming in the morning, and now they were there ready and waiting for us to come. And so they had all the kids line up, and we came into the lobby, and the lobby was a couple floors above the swimming pool. And so uh, Sarah and I were the last ones of our group to get into the window to, to see everybody. And we come up, and I look. And this little girl, about 14 years old, in a bright yellow SpongeBob shirt, starts jumping up and down. And so does an older lady in a black shirt, starts jumping up and down, waving both hands, so excited. And I begin to tear up, because I recognize that's Juliana. Juliana is our 14-year-old compassion daughter. And so we look, and she sees us come to the window. She hasn't waved at anyone else, but she saw us, and she starts rejoicing and jumping up and down. And so later, I got to talk with Juliana with a translator, and we spent lunch with, uh, with all of our kids, and, and with these, and our four kids, and then Bill and Sandy, Sarah's parents, their two kids, and so we had six kids, and their parents, and their translators, there's this group of 25, all just there for Sarah and I trying to get our attention, and, and so we ate with them, and I got time with Juliana, and she said, I saw you, and I was so excited. I said, yeah, I was excited to see you too. She said, no, 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 I didn't think you were real. I said, what do you mean? And through the translator, she shared that they told her she has a sponsor in America, and I got a picture of you and your family, but you seem too perfect. I thought this has to be fake. And I know very little Spanish, but I said, no, mi familia es muy loco. My family's very crazy. And she said, oh, I can see, because we had done FaceTime already with the kids, and so she got a glimpse of it. She said, but I didn't think that you were real. And then you sent a letter with more pictures, and I think, this is a trick. They just to give this to everybody. Everyone gets the same pictures. She said, it wasn't until they told me I was going to meet my sponsors that I believe you were a real person. She said, then I, we drove on the bus 12 hours, but I couldn't sleep at all the night before. I was awake all night wanting to see, are they real people? And then you came up to the window. And I was jumping for joy because you were real. These letters that we've been sending, it's easy to think that it's not a real relationship, but it is. And so Titus, I share that story for us to be brought into Titus. He is a real person. It's easy to get numb to who these people are. We don't get to meet Titus, but we do through the scripture. I'll tell you a little bit about Titus. He was a Gentile and he was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. There is this great debate in the book of Acts when the early church is starting and some believe that you had to be a Jew to become a Christian. Some believe that a Gentile could become a Christian without having to become Jewish, which meant without circumcision. And so there's this great debate, which one is true? Can, do you have to become a Jew to follow Jesus? Can you be a Gentile and follow Jesus? And Paul is passionate about this as he's been a missionary to the Gentiles. And he goes and he goes to this meeting and he goes and he makes his case. And then he says, let me show you a person 
person that is a Gentile and is not a Jew. Let me show you this person that is so sold out on Jesus Christ that he has as much faith as anybody in this room. A person that is passionate and wants to tell others about Jesus. A person that fully knows Jesus died for his sins. He is a Gentile, but Jesus' blood washed him clean. And you know who that person is? Titus. This young man that is so sold out for Jesus that Paul uses him as an example and convinces the entire council because of the example Titus is that you could be a Gentile and follow Jesus. Titus, later when the Corinthians are uh, are going astray, Paul sends Titus with the letter of correction to the Corinthians. And then Titus comes back with Paul and then Paul goes and sends Titus to this church in Crete and says, this is a man that will set you straight. This is a man that loves Jesus. This is a man that will set an example of godly living. And so I want you guys to know Titus is real. As real as Juliana now knows we are real, Titus is passionate about Jesus. And so this letter is from Paul to Titus, but really from Paul to Titus and the church to let the church know, listen to this man. This is how you should live. And so Titus chapter 1 verse 1 begins, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Paul, a servant of God. The word here for servant in Greek is actually the word for slave. The lowest person in society, Paul is saying, I am that for God. Paul makes it clear, and Paul is like a rock star among the early church. Everyone is reveres Paul. Paul says, no, no, no. I am but a slave to Jesus Christ. I am a servant to Jesus. And why am I servant? To spread the word of the truth that leads to godliness. Right there, that is the theme of the book of Titus. If you take nothing else from the book, you will know that we are to live godly lives. And this is what we will see as Paul is guiding how to set up leaders and how to live that way, how to turn aside from false teaching, how to live a godly life. Paul is setting that up, and so they are seeking after godliness. This is the most important part. This is what Paul begins his letter with. He continues, verse 2, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Think about that. This promise of eternal life, not just of being saved today, but this promise of eternal life that tomorrow you are saved, next week you are saved, next month, next year, after we, are, after we have passed away, we have eternal life with Jesus that we are saved. And look at that verse that this was the plan, that this was promised before the beginning of time. This was always the plan that you and I and Juliana and Alex would be saved. Before time, before the creation of the earth, set aside any debate of old earth or new earth, that doesn't matter here. Before whatever earth was, there was a promise of eternal life for you and me through Jesus Christ. What an amazing promise that before you and I committed our first sin, long ago, God planned to send Jesus to wipe away those sins. 
The passage continues this introduction. Paul says, In which now, at his appointed season, he is brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. At this appointed season, many scholars believe that this was the perfect time for Jesus to come, that any time before now it would have been hard to get the message out, but at this time there's a common language of Greek. At this time it was comparatively easy for travel because of the road system. At this time there was mostly peace because of the, the Roman Empire. And so at this appointed time, Jesus has come, and at this appointed time, Paul is here to spend this message of God, our Savior. Our Savior, that he has saved us from our sins. That Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross in doing so as a sacrificial lamb, took our sins, the sins of the Cretan people, upon Jesus Christ. And he conquered those sins and he conquered Satan and he conquered death that we would have a Savior. When we went to the Wadani people, the, the flight into the rainforest, we got on the canoes and went down a tributary of the Amazon. And we went to a beach, and there uh, we met the Wadani pastor. And he was an old, rough man who was the first generation after those that had killed the missionaries. And he was the pastor of the Wadani people. And he preached, and that was translated to Spanish and, the trans and then translated to English for us. And we sat on this beach with mosquitoes biting, with who knows what kind of weird disease. And we we're swiping them away, just listening to the gospel preached in Wadani. After riding in a Wadani canoe down the Amazon. And there's this group of kids that had come along with us. And, and I didn't fully know why they were there. But then that's when they shared, these are the kids that are getting baptized today. They had asked us earlier uh, over a Zoom call, they said, there's going to be an opportunity to baptize in the Amazon. Is anyone interested? And I was like, sign me up. Right Before that phone call was done, I had sent a text to Scott, our leader, and it's like, I would love to be part of that. And I thought everyone would want to, but it turns out it was just me and one other guy that were that insane. And so me and Travis got to go out in the, uh, out in the Amazon, and there we met 13 kids that got baptized like happy. This little boy, his name is Happy. And he came out jumping and bouncing out to meet us in the river. And they relayed that his name is Happy. And as he came up, I, said, I thought, this is just like my little boy, Henry. And I asked him how old he was. And he told me that he was eight years old. It's Henry's age. And I teared up as I looked at Happy. And he was being spoken to in Wudani. And then we had an opportunity to baptize Happy into the family of believers. Happy and 12 other kids that day were baptized because of, as Paul says, our God, our Savior. Happy has been saved. And so have you and I, if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior. He's a Savior to Titus, to the Cretans. He's a Savior to our church here at Discovery. And he's a Savior to Happy in Ecuador. We got back on the canoes and went back to the town and, or the village and we walked over to uh, one house. We did a home visit and, and we were with Walter in his home and he was showing us he was a, a father of some compassion kids, father of a child that got baptized. He was out there with us and, and I, didn't, I found that out and I, and I stepped aside and had Walter baptize his own child in the Amazon. 
And so Walter is showing us his weapons that he goes hunting with. And we sit here and think like, oh, these are like old-time weapons relics, like a blow dart gun to shoot monkeys and a spear to give fish and then a spear for big boar and wild animals. But he had just been hunting the day before with those weapons. And he gets it out and then he shows us how he sharpens the arrows on the teeth of a piranha. He has a piranha jawbone with the teeth on it. And that's what he uses to sharpen his arrows. And they look just ferocious teeth. And I said, where did you get those teeth? Where did you get the prana? He said, in the river. I was like, what? And so I go back and relay this, and my leader's like, yeah, there's a little piranhas in there. The other kids kept bringing them to us. They would catch them and bring them to us and show us these teeth. And I was like, so that was in the river with me? So I came to find that out after, which was much better. Um, and so we got to baptize these kids because of the Savior. Titus, the end of the introduction. The last verse we'll look at this morning from Titus. It's Titus chapter 1, verse 4. It says, to Titus, my true son and our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. A true son and a common faith. Paul is writing that they have a common faith, that this faith in Jesus Christ, their Savior, is this bridge that connects old man Paul to young minister Titus. But this bridge is this common faith, that they both believe in Jesus Christ, that they both know that he is their Savior, that they both believe that their sins are washed away. As far as east is from the west, there's this common faith between Paul and Titus, and that faith is Jesus Christ. But the beautiful thing is this bridge is not just between Paul and Titus. This bridge is between Titus and you and I. That we have the same common faith that has spanned over 2,000 years that our belief in Jesus Christ is this common faith that Paul has with you. Paul has with me. That we have this common faith. And the beautiful part is this common faith is a bridge that also spans to the Methodist church down the street and the Presbyterian church and the Baptist church that we have made all these denominations. But the truth is we have a common faith. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ over a span of years, over across denominations and over traveling miles. That we have this common faith. You have a common faith with Happy and with Alex and with Juliana, and I could go name after name after name, and with Titus and Paul, that we have this connection of a common faith. We got back from the canoe trip, and the mother of two of the kids that were baptized, her name was Claudia. She didn't speak any English at all, and Sarah speaks even less Spanish than I do, and yet Sarah said, I want to go see her, because I know what it's like to be a mom and see her kids get baptized. And so Sarah and Claudia went and met and spent time together, and finally a, a translator came and, and would speak between the two of them. And there was a common faith that Claudia saw her kids' eternity sealed, and Sarah has had that too. This common bond between a lady that speaks, has never seen, ridden in an automobile and Sarah living in America. This common faith between two different languages, two different cultures. And Claudia went and got a little nut that had some seeds in it, and she smeared the seeds. And then she came to Sarah and began to draw on her face. And she said, this means beautiful woman. And so afterwards, Sarah took that nut from her 
and began to do it on Claudia's face. And there's a common faith between the two. And so as we dive into this book of Titus, this is what we are going to connect with. This faith that has lasted over 2,000 years and what it looks like for us to follow that faith is a life of godliness and a life of living good life, of setting an example that others would see Jesus through us, that we would be, that others would know Jesus because of you and your faith. As I look at my face, I forget that I have it until I see Sarah and I was like, oh, what's wrong with her? And then I realized, oh, same thing wrong with me. And we got these marks on our face. Sarah brought to my attention the parable that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 8. I'll close with this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell from among the thorns, which grew up in it, choked the plants. So other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. I think about that time we're in this church and they come and they said, we'd like to draw on your face to be connected with us that you're one of our people. Would you be willing to do that? Some people automatically said no. They weren't going to have any part of it. Others seemed hesitant and so someone brought out a, a makeup pen and they said, would you be willing to do it with this? We know this will wipe off right away. And so some did it with that. And they had the same markings. But by the end of the day, it began to fade as we sweat and, and rubbed up against different things. And it was smeared. Still others got the, the henna tattoo that we have and, and had it put on. And then when we got to the hotel, they tried everything to get it off. And they went into the stores and went and bought stuff and scrub, scrub, scrub and, ru and rub their face raw. And sure enough, it was mostly gone, but their cheeks were bright red and they were in pain and it was raw. And then there was some that said, my love. Just wanted to love on the Quechua people. And if this is what they wanted to do, then I'll let them do it. And I thought that it would go away within a day and it's three or four days later, but I don't regret it. Because you know what, when we went to the flea market, I was able to tell people about the Quechua people. I was able to tell the lady we bought sunglasses from about the Quechua people and about Jesus' love for them and they, they've accepted Jesus. And it made me think, what if we lived such a life that Paul describes in the book of Titus that others would see Jesus in the way we live, that it would be as obvious as this weird henna tattoo on my face, that people would see you and they would see Jesus in the way you act at work or in school or in your home. Sometimes that's the biggest place that we need to set an example for Jesus because they see the real us and we're not setting that example. And so as we close out the beginning of the study of Titus, this is the theme of Titus is to live a life pointing to Jesus. To live a life as if Jesus was written all over your face and that everyone you see would know that's a believer in Christ. So that's my challenge to each one of us this week. That when you leave here today, when you go home, maybe that's a place things need to change and you need to set an example that you believe in Jesus. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. That, that habits and patterns need to change that people would know you're a believer because of 
how you act, what they see, that it's written all over your face. I pray that that's how we could live. If you'll stand with me and... God, I pray for those fellow believers in the common faith, for those churches down the street and across state lines. God, I pray for the Quechua people and the Wananis. I pray for Juliana, for Alex, for Claudia. And I pray for the people in this room that we would live in such a way that you are written all over our face, that we would live in such a way that we have set an example of who you are, of our love for you, of our passion for you as evident in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, at our school. God, let it just be written on our face that we are followers of Jesus Christ and that we have a Savior. God, thank you for this common faith. And in that common faith, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.